Hi, my name is Alan. I am a business designer and welcome to the Beyond Users podcast, where we learn about business to become better designers who not only solve user challenges, but also achieve business goals. In the 14th episode, I spoke with Tyke McCarthy. Tyke is a graphic designer who decided to become entrepreneur to basically realize his creative visions. He previously worked for clients as a designer and he never felt he can really express himself. So as many designers, he wasn't really fond of business, but changed his mind once he started to get more into entrepreneurship. His current companies, uh, specifically uh, the Blue Wine Geek, uh, came about after reading the Blue Ocean Strategy. And you can see how he came up with the idea for Blue Wine, actually literally from the Blue Ocean uh, Strategy. And this story was actually recently also featured in the newsletter of the authors of the book as a good example of how to do the Blue Ocean uh, strategy exercises. In this episode, we covered why Tyke is focusing on providing meaning instead of the solutions. You know how everybody talks about you have to find the right problem and then provide a solution. But Tyke's way of coming up with new ideas for startups is actually more on providing the meaning than the solution itself. Um, Furthermore, we talked about his way of testing the products with a press release. So anytime Tyke has an idea, he first creates a website and then tries to get uh, newspapers to actually cover the story by sending a press release. And we also talked about his decision to attend a business school, why he decided to do it and what did he learn there. Just one more thing before diving into the episode. I've recently created an email course called Measuring Design, where I explain what are design metrics and how you can use them to measure your design work. And not only that, but also how you can present it to non-designers to basically show the value of your work. It's a free five-day email course with a nice framework that I call Design Metric Canvas that you can use on your projects. So, to get access to the course, please head to beyondusers.com. And now, without further ado, here's a conversation with Tyke. Okay, so Tyke, uh, I know you started as a graphic designer, right? And yeah. uh, I've noticed you've been freelancing as a graphic designer for just five months before you started your first company. So, can you maybe share with us how you got from being a graphic designer to becoming an entrepreneur so fast? Yeah, it was it was thanks to a friend. Uh, I did study graphic design, and then I went into advertising. But I had a friend who was into uh, doing business, and I didn't really enjoy business at all because I, uh, you know, I was more on the you know on the left side, some might say. Mm. But uh, but he was having a lot of fun, and I was kind of like doing design for clients that weren't really getting what I was doing. So I've always felt like maybe I should do it myself. And five months into into the whole uh, being a freelancer agency thing, uh, we started messing around with some projects and and they were the best feeling ever. What did you start to mess around with? So the, the first thing we did was like a graphic design agency at college. Uh, made by students. So being students, we all needed the uh, driving license. And the driving license is, is funny in Spain because in the north of Spain, 
and it's pretty expensive. But then you go to the south and it's half the price. So we set up a service for which people could like go on holiday to the south of Spain uh, for one month and get the driving license and a great vacation. So nice. we did that and that's how I got my driving license. Uh, and and yeah, we, we got some, some success. We were in uh, some national TV and we did make some profit. Uh, so it was a really good experience. Mm. So you mentioned this was a project uh, when you were still in the college, right? Yeah. So how did you guys organize? Was it like you and your fellow students started the company or was this somehow within the university? No, it wasn't in the university. Uh, we had to convince some people in the university, which wasn't so so simple. Uh, luckily, the good thing about being a graphic designer is that you can always make beautiful brochures and <laughs> you, you can always convince people with, with nice brochures. Mm. You said that in the beginning, business wasn't fun for you, right? So you saw it almost as the opposite of what you were doing. I'm yeah. just wondering, like, if you look back, when did you start enjoying the business and why? Well, I, I do remember being a kid and thinking, how do I get money? I want to buy a video game. <laughs> uh, but at some point, I started to think, like, money was, was bad, or at least, like, business was bad, you know? Like, business people were evil people in a castle, you know, playing mm -hmm. the uh, the piano or something. Uh, but and, and it went like that for a long time. Uh, started getting very into philosophy, very into the arts, uh, thinking about, you know, being an artist. Uh, but I guess that, that was really a bad place for me to be as a person because I wasn't even happier. I was just getting more obsessed with my own crazy ideas. Mm. And business kind of made sense because it's, it's like, this is the same thing as creating stuff. But you, you need it to be connected with the people. You need to be connected with people need to use it. So it cannot be just you being crazy. It must be you being creative, but you know, in a way that is useful to other people. Mm -hmm. So you actually have many startups under your belt. So what we talked about was just the first one, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe let's just choose one or two more examples before we get to the uh, geek, which I want to mm -hmm. talk about. Uh, what, 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 what other startups project did you do and what did you learn? So there was a, there was a really good one that was, uh, I had a really great takeaway and it was a startup called Alvaro G because I met this guy called Alvaro and he, uh, he manufactured, he did, uh, longboards, you know, like skate, skateboards were pretty yeah. long mm. and, and he was all by his own. He had like a Facebook page. It was it was horrible. Uh, the name of the the brand was Test Seventy Eight. Uh, test Seventy Eight. Yeah, he thought that was really good, a uh, really good idea because everything was a test. <laughs> and it uh, was Seventy Eight Test. Okay. Yeah, yeah, something something <laughs> like that. And I met him, and I was like, "Hey, I mean, I want to help you. I mean, you have a really really good product, and I I think I could really help out." So we started working together. And it was a really good match between him and I. He's very, uh, very product oriented, not so much customer oriented, or or you know design. Uh, but it was a really great match. He was doing the longboards, and I was kind of doing the uh, the the outline of 
how how was the aesthetic gonna be in the longboard? So we did collections, like if it was like a, an apparel brand, and mm. that this was a meaning really meaningful project for me. And and as it turns out, like three months ago, Alvaro, uh, I haven't seen him in some years. It passed away, so it, it was a it was a pretty sad thing. But it was great to have. I still have my longboards uh, made by him, made by, by us. So it is a great memory to have. And what we learned with this is uh, we weren't get it, getting as much media coverage as we got with uh, the previous project. And I thought, I mean, why is that? We have a great product. It's just cheaper than a usual longboard, but it's, it's better, it's prettier. And what's wrong with this? So I kind of, I kind of thought that maybe the, the problem was that it was not uh, it was not weird enough or polemic, you know. Needs needs to have some use. There's this one sentence that really inspires me. That is, marketing is the price you pay for being unremarkable. So we nice. thought, how how do you do we make this more remarkable? So what we did is, uh, we saw a video on YouTube about uh, a German guy who got a wheelbarrow, you know, wheelbarrow, these things to use in farms. And he was doing like a mock-up of a skate video with a wheelbarrow. He was doing like skate tricks with a wheelbarrow mm. and dubstep music in the background. And it was pretty rad. So, so you know, we, we like, we bought a wheelbarrow, we painted it, we changed the wheels and we started like to sell wheelbarrows in the website. This was more like a stunt to get coverage and then people going to our website and then buying the longboards. Mm. But you will never guess what happened. Uh, so, yes, the uh, the wheelbarrow got media coverage in Spain. Uh, and then people got into the website and they didn't buy longboards. They bought the wheelbarrows. <laughs> and we were like, Seriously? wheelbarrow i mean what what problem well, is this a solution for what problem what, what need does this solve uh and then i learned that maybe it wasn't so much about having solutions for problems that it could have it could be more about meaning because with the wheelbarrow what we were saying is imagine being the first like who was the first monkey to get down off a tree and stand up or who was the first one to you know to name the trick in skate like the ollie or the flip so you could you could be the first one to practice a new sport and i think that was what got people excited about it uh even if the, the product didn't make that much sense so i pretty much decided to focus way more on providing meaning than providing solutions interesting okay so what does that mean providing meaning instead of solutions because we always hear this talk you know like hey first you have to figure out the problem that your person has and then find a solution what does finding a meaning mean actually yeah um so there's, there's this other sentence that uh, is so someone asked confucius uh wh why do you buy flowers and rice and he answers i buy rice uh, to to live and have flowers to have something to live for. So it's more about 
I mean, there must be companies that do the rice, of course. I mean, rice is mm -hmm. necessary to, you know, keep up existing. But then there can also be companies who make the flowers, who make uh, reasons to exist. So I think that that's, that's providing meaning. It's just providing something that makes life, uh, like, enhances the experience somehow. It can be, you know, like clothes when we were clothes there is a component of rice you know there's a component of you have to be warm or cold mm -hmm. but then there's a huge component of of needs needs to speak about you uh needs to you need to feel pretty in it uh, so it's just making flowers so maybe it's not about functional problems that you're solving or you're not really doing something for the function but more for the social need of somebody so they have they can uh, feel part of a certain group or something like that. Is this what you mean by meaning? Yes, yes, exactly. Because I don't remember what's the last thing I did because it was a necessity. I mean, we have really great lives in a very developed world. Uh, and, you know, necessities is not something that really uh, drives us anymore. We're mm. looking for meaning. We're looking for uh other people to do that will understand us so it's stuff mm. to achieve that so was this experience with the wheelbarrow the one that make you kind of a provocateur entrepreneur definitely definitely uh it, it was it was a devastating experience to learn that you know we were focusing on on the wrong thing but i mean uh, i always like to to learn a lot about my failures and I, mm. I really got this into my, I tattooed this in, into my brain. Like, and mm. let's make remarkable, remarkable stuff. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice way to put it. Remarkable stuff, right? So mm -hmm. what was the next thing you've done after you tattooed this into your mind, right? So, okay. I learned that we need to be more provocative, more polemic. What was the next project? Um, during the same time, I was developing a project that uh, was uh, oriented to help elderly people, especially families who have to take care of elder elderly people. So uh, I kind of decided to literally give up on that uh, instantly because it was just a necessity that I thought, but not not really something uh, that had meaning for people you know it was actually the opposite so i went into the blue wine <laughs> yeah which is it's i mean i remember back then uh m my parents were like seriously is that is that the next thing and i was like well i i think it's actually gonna be successful and indeed it was yeah let's okay exactly let's talk about it i find it's fascinated for so many reasons so maybe first of all where does the idea where did the idea come from uh, yeah you will see that there, i have like no no merits for my accomplishment because the only thing i did is read a book called the blue ocean strategy <laughs> and you took it have literally you right <laughs> of yeah, course, have you read of course. It? yeah yeah i love it so like the uh the second example in the book is uh, a wine called Yellowtail. Yeah, yeah. From Australia, yeah. and and the, the, like the book itself analyzes how 
they like innovated and created Blue Ocean because they, you know, they invested in new variables, which are like easy to, it's like easy to choose from. Mm-hmm. And it's like simple. And I was like, well, why don't we just add another like crazier variable? Like let's change the color. No one changes the color. Mm-hmm. And we did it blue because, you know, it's blue ocean strategy about turning red oceans into blue oceans. So it was like poetry to turn <laughs> red liquid into, into a blue one. Uh, so that's where the idea comes from. So tell me one thing about this blue ocean approach. So when you read a book, there are many case studies, but there is also kind of the outline for how you should approach it. You know, like draw mm-hmm. out the industry line and then go against it. Just, just. Like asking you honestly, have you really like done the exercise of actually drawing the industry line, or you it was just kind of the eureka moment for you? Oh shit, we should do this. I'm usually pretty thorough with my with the things I do, so I did do almost all of the exercises in the in the book, and it was especially tricky the pricing exercise because mm. how do you price a blue wine? You know, is it like another wine? Is it like a spirit? So doing the, you know, the price band that the book suggests was really helpful. Maybe let's share this process with the listeners, right? So how does this exercise look like and how did you do it for the, how did you come up with the price for um, Geek, for the blue wine? Yeah. So the first thing is that uh, you need to forget about the costs. When you make a blue ocean, it's never about the costs. Usually companies like figure out the costs and then add the margin. Mm. Here is, is the opposite. You need to figure out what the customer is, is willing to pay and then try to do that. If you can't do that, you don't have a business. Uh, or the opposite, if you can do it and you can actually do it way cheaper than, you know, well, then that's a higher profit. So no problem. Mm. So once, how do you figure like what is the customer willing to pay? What they say, and it's, it's pretty beautiful, like the whole book, is you need to analyze three types or three tiers of products. First of all, the ones that have um, like the same form and, and the same function. So that would be other wines. And you, you, you analyze, maybe you go to a supermarket or you can do this online, uh, see like where are the prices, how many uh, products are among what price. So in this case, you could see that there are like two big bubbles. There was like one big bubble in the four euro area and another big bubble in the 11, 12 euro area. And then there was, of course, wine 60 euros, and but uh, I went with, you know, two euros, but that was the, the main. Then you need to analyze uh, products with the, uh, the same function but a different shape or different form. That would be other beverages. Mm-hmm. So you could convert it to spirits or to refresheners. Uh, you know, so we did that. And then the last step is products with the uh, the opposite, the same function, but different, different form. And this is tr- tricky to figure out, but for us, it was like uh, flowers, uh, sushi, you know, a, a box yeah. of chocolates, something you could give as presents, something that uh, satisfies the same social uh, need uh, somehow. Mm-hmm. So we did that and we learned that the price band like, would be appropriate for us 
was between uh, seven and eleven, something like that. And we decided to set it up in eight euros, which is closer to the low side, because how difficult is your product to copy? So it's not that difficult. So we want the competitors to have a run for the money. So what is the price currently? Is it eight euros or did it go up? It it depends on the country because mm -hmm. we do this in, in every country. But yeah, in, in Spain it's, it's around eight euros. Mm -hmm. Okay, I see now. But when I went online, they, I, I could only buy three bottles at the same time. Is this kind of the strategy you have or is it just because of the shipping? Uh, it's a re really good question. Uh, when we started, actually like two months ago, you could have bought one bottle. Uh, but we just changed that recently. The thing with, with the one bottle is that it was never profitable, but uh, we wanted our brand to be, uh, like the meaning is to break the rules. So you need to be the opposite of the traditional wine industry. So the traditional wine industry is not very uh, internet friendly. Mm. So we want it to be the opposite. We wanted this to be as easy to, you know, we want you to be able to download your blue wine if possible. Mm. So having one bottle was um, with with free shipping was uh, somewhat a statement for like how digital we were. Uh, we didn't get that much profit at all from the one bottle, but uh, really help us connect to the customers. Also, when people just want to try it, it's, you know, the barrier, the entry barriers is lower for them. Hey, did you notice anything interesting about the way people buy your wine? And the sub-question I have here is basically, you know, the way I see it, I, I didn't try it obviously yet, but when I was thinking about buying, I was like, okay, maybe I try and buy one and share with my friends and it's going to be an interesting experience and we can all talk about it. But I wasn't sure I might become a loyal customer of a blue wine. So, mm -hmm. you know, like, do you have loyal customers or is it just kind of a one-off entertainment we do have loyal customers. Um, yeah, I was I was looking at their ratios of uh, repetition, and yeah, it varies from one country to another. But we have customers that have been like buying us uh, for three years. I would say like one or two bottles uh, each month, mm. which is which is pretty good. Is what we were going for, uh, and we also have a lot of peaks with our product. It's a very uh, you know, it worked really well with Black Friday, Cyber Monday, mm. Christmas, Easter. It's very, very sensitive to those kind of uh, switches in, in demand. So there's also people who uh, are used to buying it like as a present or to, you know, bring to a dinner party, like, like you were saying. Mm. I read somewhere that you spent two years developing the blue wine. Right, so getting the yeah. right color and the taste. So to me, it sounds like an awful risky thing to do, right? To have an idea and to spend two years developing the product. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, have you done anything to mitigate the risk? Like, so did you know that people will buy before you spend two years on on that? Yeah, always, always lean startup. Yeah, <laughs> always. Even now that we have the money to do stuff, uh, we still do it lean. So. Uh, the first thing I did is I created a website 
uh, you know, it was nothing fancy. It wasn't even a WordPress. I did it in Squarespace, um, in which you could like buy the wine. This was way before it existed. That's also something beautiful about being a graphic designer. Yeah. You know, mm. you can make anything. You know, a prototype online. And we registered if it had any clicks. This was before spending like a single day in a lab. And it was funny because it wasn't just that it got clicks, but I was on a trip to India with my friends, actually with the Artiverse crowd. Mm -hmm. And I I got a phone call from a TV producer in Spain saying that uh, he wanted the Blue Wine to star in the what would be the Dragon's Den in Spain. Oh, nice. And I was like, what? Like, I was in a train in India. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, first of all, how, how did you hear about, you know, the product? And he was just, you know, looking in Google Images, but like, in the innovative product, uh, innovative wine, and... I, I saw a picture and I just clicked and I just that took me to the website. So if you're ever doing a website and thinking about the importance of alt images and image titles, you know, they're really important, yeah. as you can see from this story. Uh, and then, you know, that happened. So we decided to kind of shut the website down and try to try to develop it. Okay, so you said that, was this the tipping point for you? Like when you got this call or... Did you have any pre-orders before that? No, that was a tipping point. Because uh, I knew that if we were able to uh, draw attention from the media, it wouldn't be a, a failure. I mean, it could be a, a small success or a big success, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't be a failure. And this kind of proved that we could easily get media support. Mm. And yeah, this was a tipping point, definitely. So what happened next? So you got that call, what happened next? Well, you know, he wanted to do the the show just one day after I arrived at Spain. <laughs> and he was like, "Can you can you have like a bottle for the show?" And I said, "Yeah. Yeah, why not? You know, you need to take advantage of those opportunities." Mm-hmm. So, from India, uh I got in touch with uh, some friends who own a winery, and I was like, "Hey man, you need to help me out." Uh so we kind of tried to put something together. It was uh, it was very intense. Uh, also, I was in India, and in India is a really good place to source uh, this this pigment uh, that that's called a sp- spirulina. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh, blue. So we thought we could maybe try with this, do some tests, and it, it was it was a sprint. And in the end, we weren't able to to be in the show, uh, but somehow that crazy deadline really helped us uh, have a really good start. So what happened in the show? So I, I couldn't, I couldn't attend because after like one month and a half in India, uh, like I went back to Spain, I stayed in a friend's house and I really looked really bad, uh, really bad. My state, my physical state was not good. You know, have you ever been to India? Uh, yes. Yes, I have. Uh, well, then you know that, uh, you know, the food and the stomach mm. and everything that have the best relationship in the world in India. So somebody else from the team went to the show and then did you get an investment? No, or? no. 
No, 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 no one, oh, no one went no to the show. Went to the the show, but it was still no. the tipping point. Yeah, that's because there wasn't any anyone else in the team. Oh, got it. Okay, okay. So, um, at what point in this project was this? So we said it took you two years to develop the wine, right? So, at what point yeah. in these two years did you get that call from the TV producer? This was the, the zero point. <laughs> zero point. Okay, so zero even point. after this, right? It took you two years then to develop the wine. Yeah, and probably that beginning, that that bump, that call, that that made you uh, stick with the idea for two years. Yeah, um, like the the timing is not uh, really so much like that because this happened in a trip to India that was right after Arteverse, which was the branding agency. So those two years include includes me uh, doing the Alvaro G longboards and all that, but. At that time, I was like messing around with at least twenty projects, and and you know, uh, no, no one thought that the blue one was going to be, no, not even myself, was going to be something that was worth it. So, me, a long time, a long time of those two years actually uh, include me doing nothing. Mm. But I think that's an interesting point. Like you said, you had twenty different projects at the same time. Were these yeah. 20 different business ideas that you developed in a similar fashion where you put up a website and see what happens? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Maybe can you name a few of those that were interesting? I mean, none of them succeeded, so uh, you wouldn't know about them, but uh, one was to um, people to teach languages to each other. Mm-hmm. And there's a company doing italki who uh, is, is pretty much that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, then I had a, a project um, that was like doing like Starbucks for entrepreneurs somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, it would be like a chain of coffee shops that you could rent the space. Mm-hmm. It would be like like an office for starting entrepreneurs. Uh, and you know that idea was once again you know an entrepreneur thinking about entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. that's always. Uh, so always biased yeah like student doing it for students who usually don't have money. yeah 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 <laughs> exactly exactly uh worlds but so the recipe was always the same you come up with an idea you create a website then how did you did you drive the traffic to that website to get uh, some kind of a confirmation if it's a good idea or bad or was it more i just put it out there and let's see what happens i don't tell any i don't tell anyone about it so at first at first, I didn't know what I was doing, so I kind of did the website, yes, because it was like a good canvas for me to think about the brand and the design. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I you know, I passed it around my friends and stuff like that, because it wasn't until later that I figured out that uh, you need to get both customer validation and especially uh, media outlet validation. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, it's different. Nowadays, I set up the website, do the brand, the whole thing, and the first thing, the first person I contact is journalists to see if they're interested at all. Mm. And, yeah. So maybe let's go through this new strategy that you have for launching products through your new venture. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's yeah. I'm gonna mispronounce it, but uh, Hola Plate. Yeah, the yeah. Hola Plate. Okay. So let's talk. So how did you launch Hola Plate using this strategy? Yeah, there was. Uh, there was like a big conversation in the team 
because we had the money to do a big production. Mm-hmm. But we knew that wasn't right. You know, that's not the, the way you play the game. So we kind of did the same. We set up a website uh, and we saw what happened. Um, I had already some validation because there was something similar in Thailand. And it was a it is really funny story. Um, some kind of advertising agency in Thailand uh, did a campaign to educate people about, you know, obesity and the risks of eating too much uh, fat food. And they came up with the idea of doing some plates that helped you reduce the calorie intake. But then they never, never tried to actually uh, do it at all. So I that got, I mean, I, I learned about that because people were talking about that in a, in a Facebook page um, I follow. And you can see all the comments. Where can you buy this? Where can you buy this? Mm-hmm. And you couldn't. It was impossible to buy it. So I kind of started with already having market validation from this untapped opportunity. Mm-hmm. And even still, I did, I did a lean startup. Uh, I did some interviews with people I thought were the, uh, like the ideal customers to see what they think about the price and the whole thing. I also did the uh, Blue Ocean strategy exercises to set up the price. And and here was really interesting because you had to compare it not just with plates, but also with uh, weight loss products. So Mm -hmm. this really helps uh, figure out the price. But in the end, it was all about journalists. We knew that if we could get journalists interested, uh, we could make it happen. And to do that, uh, it's always uh, useful to check Google Trends. In Google Trends, we could learn at what times of the year and in which places people care the most about losing weight and all that. So we know we knew we had to launch in the third of January rather than in December. <laughs> so how do you when you have an idea, right? How do you then approach journalists? Do you just send them a, a PR message or is it more um, personalized saying, hey, I saw that you cover this type of news and I'm working on this? Do you present yourself as a big team or a small team? Like as many specifics as you can give, I think uh, it would be interesting to listeners and to me. Okay. Okay. Um I kind of knew how to do this because when I started advertising, the first two years are the same as journalism. And I was pretty, I didn't like that when I was studying because I was like, I don't want to be a journalist. But that was really great because they teach you what are the criteria for something to be newsworthy. Mm. And it's not something, uh, you know, subjective. It's just something that you can study it and it needs to be local needs to be current, meaning like happening right now. Um, needs to be relevant to the audience uh, or like common, common, common interest. For example, if there's like a tornado somewhere, I mean, that, you know, affects people. Mm-hmm. And if, if it lacks any of the previous, it must be, uh, it must really stand out. You know, like those stories about uh, a dog rescuing a kid, you know, mm-hmm. Um, so we just had to do that. How you do a press release, 
And once again, a press release is something that you don't, you don't have to make up. There is, there is already a, a structure, mm-hmm. and it's called the inverted pyramid. And it says exactly how to, you need to write a press release. It, would not, it must be like, a, like an article, like a news article. So the headline should have the why, the when, the what, and the who. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the first paragraph should have just the same but extended information. Then the second paragraph should have uh, more information. Then the third one is the one with the quotes of the team. Mm-hmm. So doing, uh, you, you know how I told you that doing the website was a good canvas for me to think about the project? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, now the press release is actually my new canvas to think about a project. Mm-hmm. So when I think about a project, I sit down and I start thinking, okay, so how is this newsworthy? Who did it? The who? Okay, so I think, okay, who do we need to be according to the media? Mm. And it was clear that we couldn't be the blue wine guys. Mm -hmm. That required like uh, kind of expanding the team and setting up like another location in Google Maps, whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) Then... When, when do we do this? I mean, it cannot be, I mean, the message must be just launched. Or either just launched or just received an award or something that's like really current, like happening right now. Mm-hmm. Then the where, obviously, in the same place that the the uh, the paper is based. So if it was for Bilbao, we say Bilbao. If it was for a national uh, outlet, we would say Spain. So, yeah, that's that's how I think of it. That's really interesting. Have you heard that uh, Jeff Bezos actually does the same for new projects uh, in Amazon? So he asks... Really? Yeah, so he always asks the team who comes up with the idea to first write a press release on that product before they even begin with anything. Wow. Yeah. It it does make a lot of sense. But tell me, so you mentioned before that you learned from that uh, from that story with the longboards, you learned that you have to be provocative, right? How did you bring that yeah. provocativeness to the Ola Plate product? Yeah, here it wasn't so much about being provocative because that was necessary with the blue wine. Because the whole idea, the meaning we provided is, you know, uh, forget what the wine industry has been doing for ages. I mean, forget that is the blood of Christ, you know. So we had to be extreme. So that's been, uh, you know, blasphemous and provocative. But here it was more about, uh, so our message is food is awesome. Don't change the food, change the Mm. plate. So we position ourselves as you know don't do diets you don't need you just be happy and enjoy the food so there's obviously a part of the population that says like hey that's i don't like that i mean you have to do diets you have to do exercise and we say well i mean yeah kind of but you know we love food so we don't want to stop enjoying that Mm. so we try to connect with that part of the of the audience there's one other topic I also want to briefly touch upon. It's profit margins. I've heard you talk about the profit margins in the wine business. And I think this yep. is an interesting topic for many designers because this is the thing that 
we usually forget, right? So there's something we love to do and there's a problem, let's just solve it regardless if it makes sense from the business side or not. So first of all, can you explain what the situation is like in the wine industry with regards to the profit margins? And then is this something that now you started to look for when you think about the new ideas? Is this like a criteria you have now for a good business idea? Definitely, definitely. When we started, uh, I wasn't thinking about, about that at all. And turns out that I was lucky because the wine industry is an industry with good margins. It's pretty good margins. Uh, I think we have a 60% margin uh, over over the, the sale price. So it's it's very good. And the repetition rate is pretty high because it's a consumable. Mm. So you, you buy one and then you need to buy another one. Uh, so it's, it's a very good business financially. Uh, after the wine... I started like thinking about beer also, and I kind of uh, approached the uh, the market, but the profit margins are way lower, and I just, you know, I was pretty spoiled with the blue wine, so <laughs> I wasn't looking into having uh, small margins. So it is something I always look into now, and th- there's there's an advice I will I will give uh, to people about this, and this happens. When you're an ag- agency, for example, and you try to price your time, you always underestimate uh, your mm-hmm. time, always, because you think, well, you know, I, I enjoy doing it, and it didn't take me that much time, but it's really not about that. You need to do the, the you know, the Blue Ocean strategy exercise with yourself. So what is the customer willing to pay? So here, here's the same. Uh, even knowing this, every time we do a project, like we start with a price and then we end up like at least doubling it two times. Like the plate, yeah, it should be like four euros. Like four euros, why? You know, you always underestimate what you do. And right now the the price for a plate is like 14 euros. So there you go. And what's the profit margin on the plate if it's not a secret? No, no, no. It's it's, it's very similar on the wine. It's like um, 50, 60%. Mm. Uh, something also that designers don't really think about is uh, the distribution change change you know there's so many middlemen and you need to think about them because they're what what makes the business scalable mm. and they really add up to the to the retail price is there anything else like you mentioned the thinking about a distribution chain thinking about the profit margins anything else that you see your friend designers uh, or you uh, had problems or overlooked in the beginning when you first thought about starting your own business? Well, so many things. Uh, like the first one would be that I don't think designers are prone to working in teams. Because like when you do a design, I mean, only one person can hold mm-hmm. the mouse. So it is a pretty... Uh, individual task but building a business is is nothing of the sort uh no one can think about everything when Mm -hmm. doing a business when doing like a poster or something you can think about everything but the business you need someone focusing on the end customer someone focusing on the distributors someone focusing on the marketing and someone on the price structure and it's just so it's just too much for one Mm -hmm. brain to handle so the need for a team is definitely something we mm-hmm. usually overlook. 
the pricing, as I said, is always uh, something that goes wrong. So remember distribution. Always mm-hmm. remember distributors because it's so difficult to correct the price once you start marketing. No, then what we talked uh, before that, you know, you need to remember that uh, this is not your baby. You're not an artist. Uh, this is something that needs to be changed, needs to be uh, subject to a design thinking process from which you learn. And I mean, if you have to change like everything, doesn't mean it was wrong. It only means that now it's closer to what the market wants. Mm-hmm. By the way, you also uh, decided to study business at a certain point, right? You took the strategic management course at the uh, CBS, so the Copenhagen Business School. How was that? Ex- so maybe, first of all, why did you decide to do that? And then second of all, how was the experience like for a designer in a business school? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had no business experience previously. In advertising, we did uh, like some marketing. And you, of course, learned like the four Ps of marketing, like product, placement, price. Uh, and, and and I I figured out that I only knew about one of the P's, which was like a promotion. So it was like I definitely need to need about need to learn about pricing and placement. So I was looking into courses, and I saw this one, and it looked pretty pretty cool because it wasn't just about innovation but about management. And I've been kind of forced to being the CEO of the company. And you know, I'm just a graphic designer with with a management posi- position, so uh, this really resonated with me. And uh, luckily enough, when I started studying, uh, one of the like I think was the main business case we learned about is a, a branding agency called E Types. Uh, so, so it was great because the business case we were studying was a, a mm-hmm. design agency, a design firm. So it uh, kind of everything. Uh, work together do you remember any particular courses or lessons that you enjoyed yeah uh, I really enjoyed all of them and um, especially the, there's there's this part in which they explain competition in the you know nowadays mm-hmm. and so they, they give you some stats and they say how many uh, containers are shipped worldwide uh, like in 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 the 60s, in the 90s, and nowadays, and they projected for 2020. And the growth is just crazy. So this is an indicator to see how the competition nowadays is global. Uh, they also speak about how many companies tried to you know, obtain cost leadership by producing in China mm-hmm. and how that's a risky strategy because cost leadership can always be matched by someone else uh, so it's risky and it's risky also because some of the best companies went to china and uh, china learned how to do the same yeah. things that the best companies did so now china is just not cheaper it's also better in many many ways yeah yeah so they, they speak about the hyper competition uh that we're living nowadays and they, they say that differentiation is it's going to be the the key to to stand out and to be able to to survive in the business landscape. Um, yeah, that really resonated with me because that's pretty much what I was also feeling with my you know rice or flowers dilemma. Mm. And I, I think that my thing with the flowers is just 
you know, it's not just differentiation, but hyper differentiation, you know, like providing meaning, like not just flowers, but, you know, flowers for your flowers for your mother, just for your mother or flowers for feminists, you know, always go to a, something meaningful or mm-hmm. flowers for bad people. Like there's the flowers for bad people. And that, yeah. That, I think that, you know, I think I'm going to start that business now. <laughs> that would be funny if you actually got this idea and became so successful now from the podcast. Yeah. Hey, but tell me one well, thing. I'll, so I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely make a, make a website. Yeah. Just write a PR, make a website and <laughs> yeah. we just have to find a when, right? Yeah. But tell me like, how do you now, um, with the blue wine, right? In this hyper-competitive world, how do you stay ahead of the competition? How come, has anyone copied you and how do you try to, you know, uh, keep the differentiation? It's very difficult because we did expect people to copy us and they did. We have several copies, but we didn't also expect that they were going to copy our texts from the website. <laughs> so... And everything, the, the pictures, the texts, so they're kind of trying to project the same idea. Some of them really can't because, for example, one of the wineries is called uh, King of something. So you cannot be like the underdog and be, you know, the king of somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and then or maybe the winery is managed by, you know, 60-year-old third-generation winemaker. So... He's not, you know, he cannot be on on TV saying that they're trying to revolutionize the industry because, you know, he is the industry. But it, still, it is difficult because you go to the website and it's it's actually difficult to to see the difference. And the way we try to stay ahead is just by making new products. So we've lately done new products in the in the wine in the wine area with the Jig Life. And we've been only marketing them in Spain to see how the market reacts. And the process of making them is so lean. So think about the concept, do a mock-up and put it online. And we we can afford not doing any advertising or PR because there is already customers coming in for the blue wine. So Mm. they just see other weird wines and are like, hey, I want to try that. Mm. And you always get surprised because we have a spicy wine, like a really spicy wine. If you like spicy food, you love this. Mm. Uh, then we have wine with tea, which is it's not so crazy, for example, in Germany because you have mold wine, but uh, it is very crazy in Spain. And then we have a, a pink wine, not rosé, but pink wine that we call Unicorn Tears. Cool. And... The one that's selling the most is the Unicorn Tears. It's actually selling more than the blue wine. So you you never you never you can never assume that you know the market. You always need to test. But but yeah, making these new products are the the way we we try to stay ahead. Cool, cool. Hey, Ty, I want to be mindful of your time. This was really, really interesting. And uh, maybe we do even uh, round two if listeners want to hear more about it. But I think there was a lot of really useful stuff in it. And just maybe as a last question, uh, maybe where can listeners find more about Geek, so the Blue Wine, the Ola Plate, or maybe about you specifically? 
Yeah. So, uh, like myself, I do have a website, but I know it's just got not even a portfolio. It's just to have my domain. So LinkedIn is actually a good place to contact me if someone you know wants to uh, work with me or you know do whatever. Mm-hmm. Send me memes. You know, LinkedIn is the it would be a right place to do it. Uh, and about the projects, you can you can learn about the plate in the website, which is uh, allaplate.com. And Ola is like like hello in, in Spanish. So Ola Plate. And about the wines, uh, it's just jiglive.es. Uh, until now, it was like blue wine or lava vine or vin azul, but now we, we're changing it. Mm. I'll include all the links also on the website and uh, in the show notes. So you listeners can also click on there. Hey, thanks again, Tyke. This was really, really awesome. Thank you, Alan. I'm, I'm a big fan of the of the podcast and your work, and it was it was really an honor to be here. Cool. That's it in today's episode. If you do like this show or this episode, I kindly ask you to consider leaving a review or a comment on iTunes or any other podcast app, for that matter. Um, this really helps me a lot in getting great guests. And also, um, it helps other listeners find this show easier on these crowded uh, podcasts apps. And again, if you're interested in how to measure design, to basically show the value of your design work to non-designers, and to also know yourself how you're doing, like how you can track the progress of your work, head to beyondusers.com. And there you can sign up for a five-day free email course And um, in there, you will learn what design metrics are, how you can use them on your projects. And um, you'll also get to download a free design metric canvas, which is a framework that you can use in your projects to identify all the appropriate and necessary metrics. So for that, head to beyondusers.com. Cool. That's it for today. Thanks for your attention and see you soon.